What's the word? Spilling that tea all on the curb. I'm not trying to be nosy, but I gotta know everything you heard. We gotta know what's going on. He did what? Now that was wrong. What's the latest trends of fashion? Tell me what's your favorite song. Who you reading? What you reading? What you watching? What's the season? Are there twists for the finale? Cause we gonna need a better reason. Who's improving the community? Bring the focus back to unity. Gotta do something more than plan. Listen up and take a stand. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Don't be mad, I'm just in my bag, 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 bag. You gon' get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Why you mad? I'm just in my bag, bag, bag. Who are we? DHA. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Don't be mad, I'm just in my bag, 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 bag. Get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Why you mad? I'm just in my bag, bag, bag. Who are we? All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever your time you're listening to this. This is your host, John Torrance, and this is In My Bag Podcast. This is season two, episode six, which is crazy that season is almost done. Thank God, because it's been a crazy season so far, you know, like with COVID and everything like that. But I have a special guest uh, this episode, which I'm very excited about, and I'm glad that he accepted uh, my invitation, which is good. Um, it's Ian Haddock. Um, he's the executive director of the Normal Anomaly Initiative, Inc., uh, with a wealth of knowledge in the public health field and community activist work. He uses a healing justice and harm reduction lens to tackle the multiplicity of traumas that are felt at the intersections of Black and queer. As an esteemed writer, national activist, and community builder, he finds resolve and liberation for all people. Welcome, Ian. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Thank you. Um, This is like, I'm excited because I've stalked you on Instagram for a little bit. Um, and how I known of you is someone, uh, shared an article that you were featured in about your center opening up in Houston. And so that's when I did a little digging and I was like, Oh, I need to talk to him and see what's going down in Houston. (laughs) How is the down there now? Like the weather and the whole COVID stuff. So Texas, Houston is a big, you know, um, progressive city like most Texas cities in a very conservative state. So <laughs> uh, we've been wide open. Um, I don't know if we ever really closed. Maybe for a month and a half we closed. Okay. Um, but it's wide open. It just got hot, but we were cold, you know. Mm-hmm. Climate change mm-hmm. is real. Um, <laughs> and so yeah. it's it's uh it's really normal, scarily normal, eerily mm-hmm. normal here in Houston. Mm-hmm. Right just like Atlanta. Atlanta's like wilding out <laughs> and it's crazy i'm gonna be in houston um the end of july like the last weekend of july uh so we gotta connect sometime we gotta connect. i've never been to houston before 
You'll love it. You'll love it. So it's it's a slower Atlanta, okay. with probably I consider it having more culture. Than- mm, really interesting interesting um yeah i like atlanta i do but i think it might be a little overpopulated right now everyone's migrating down there so um if i ever do move to the south maybe houston will be a bet so if i uh take that leap of faith (laughs) i am a houston advocate so um Definitely don't talk to me. I'm super biased. I love Houston. And uh, that's okay. That's <laughs> I'll okay. convince you to come down here. How's the food down there? So, um, Houston has the best food. Actually, Texas has been rated the state with the best food. Um, Houston mm-hmm. is also the most diverse city in America. Mm-hmm. And so, there is no uh, type of food that you can miss. Um, it's just, you know, it's also, I mean, just not that this is good or, or bad, but Houston was rated the fattest city. So obviously you can't get fat without eating. You can't- That's true. Oh. <laughs> well, all the guys I like are fat anyway, so it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> so I'm okay with that. It just, I like to eat, but, you know, I try to stay, you know, healthy and stuff like that. So, mm. Okay. You sound God. like a spokesperson. Yeah, I got for <laughs> decent jeans. I'm thick in the right places, uh, mm-hmm. but I ain't stopping eating. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so, like every guest I have on here, I always like to hear their coming out story, and I always think it's very important for um, just to hear other, you know, Black LGBTQ people's story because they're all different, but we all somewhat can relate in one way or another so um tell me a little bit about your coming out story and how it went you know how it went about yeah i i didn't really have a choice so i was in a sexual relationship with my high school teacher and um the school found out and Mm -hmm. a part of their kind of trying to get me to to tell them what was happening um, they told me that they wouldn't tell my mom. Of course, that mm-hmm. was a lie. Right. And um, so I was, I was. It was a consensual relationship. Um, I didn't really understand power dynamics and, um, and, and the power. You know, you know how people in power move mm-hmm. as it relates to sex and sexuality. Um, so now, as I'm older, I'm just like, oh wow, that was like. You know, that was power. Um, yeah. anyway, um, so when my mom found out, I originally came out as bisexual um, just because as a black queer person in the South, raised in the church, mm-hmm. uh, coming from a family that uh, relied on drugs to sustain themselves, uh, both financially and um, to get through the world. Uh, it was easier to come out as bisexual Um because originally, like, uh, the reason why my mom found out and the reason why I ended up telling um, the social worker and police officer that it was true is because there was, uh, they admitted that there was a rumor that one of the teachers that I was sleeping with was living with HIV. Mm. So uh, I pretty much came out telling my mom, I need to go get tested. Because uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was terrified, of course, being 16 and not really having an understanding of HIV. Um, I'm from about 
35, 40 miles south of Houston, about 20 miles from Galveston. And mm-hmm. so it's a small town. We're a small town of maybe like 40, 40,000 on one side. And then in my actual little small town, it was probably about 15,000 people. Mm-hmm. And so we had no concept of like sex, sexuality. And then, you know, HIV was just you, you sick, you know, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, and so um, that that whole journey, I was fortunate enough to to test negative for HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the next several years was um, just a journey because I, I say I came out, meaning like I told someone right, right, um, right. as a team, but coming out was like this, you know, metamorphosis of sorts because. I didn't have a concept of HIV, but I also didn't have a concept on the spectrum of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, black people in general give people the space to um, define sex and sexuality for themselves. So I ended up just, you know, saying I was gay. Um, but anyway, so it was, it was definitely a journey to figure out, like, what are the words? What's the language that I want to mm-hmm. use? How do I identify? What do I actually like? And what boxes do I fit in or do I want to like not sit in at all right how old were you when you found when you told your mom about the teacher uh 16 I was 16 okay. years old yeah all right um now how did that thing play out because you don't really hear stuff like that um was he coming on to you was it a mutual thing or... I was I was the aggressor for sure mm. um I had been, I had been like having um, sex with lots of young men um, at at high school. I was <clears throat> more masculine presenting, and so mm-hmm. um, the more, if you would, flamboyant um, gay people in school, you know, really, you know, figuring out who they are and ex- and experiencing whatever they wanted to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I was attracted to them because. They could know that I was, you know, DL. At right, that right, time, right. Even though I was obviously <laughs> gay. Uh, but yeah. they, they considered me, you know, DL. And so it was fun. And then I played mm-hmm. football. And so I had a connection to like some of the more popular, like jocks. So it was like really easy to have sex and um, hanging around all of that testosterone and sometimes, many times, toxic masculinity. Uh, you were taught. Um, to be aggressive. If you were the quote unquote man, whether you were gay or straight, I didn't have a concept, remember, of what that meant. So um, I just learned how to deal with that from my older brothers or from the jocks and popular people at school. And so you went after who you wanted. Um, Many of the football players were having sex with teachers. Many of the girls were having sex with teachers. Like it was a, it was a, it was a thing. (laughs) um, And so for me, it was like really important to like, just, I want this situation. I'm gonna go after this situation. I'm gonna handle this situation. And it took him a couple couple weeks or so, um, mm-hmm. uh, but it went really, really fast. And the power dynamic, I think that that is something when I think about my coming out story, I didn't really understand when people would say like, you know, he did something wrong. He touched a child because I was really the aggressor. Like I was, right. I was saying some, some grown stuff <laughs> in my theater class to mm-hmm. a grown person. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it's the power dynamic. Um, and yeah, but it was, it was an interesting time. Interestingly enough, um, the person, the person still lives in Houston. They always lived in Houston, but the mm-hmm. person still lives in Houston. Uh, we do not speak, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I and he got it. in trouble for that. So uh, they just asked him to resign mm. okay. because they didn't want they didn't want um, our little school district. Uh, <laughs> we were we were a football school district, so we were mm-hmm. winning championships and all that kind of stuff they didn't want our little school district to to do anything and they knew my mom was not in the capacity to like sue or you know make a fuss about it because who wants a gay child in a small community right right so nope they so um, was he um like in his early 20s or did you know because you know a lot of these um new teachers they graduate college and they're like 21 so they look mad young you know um and some of them look like high schoolers you know so um was he like an older older man or was he like um so so it was it was a lot of different things i will say that he was you know late 20s early 30s Not the so so it was me and my best friend that were sleeping with two different teachers. Mm-hmm. It was the other teacher that was a little bit older that introduced us to all these kind of things. We wanted to. Mm-hmm. I was super sex positive when I was young. I didn't have yeah. language, but I was super sex positive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I found myself wanting to like do. I wanted to be a stripper, and I wanted <laughs> to like all these kind of things. And so um, he would introduce me to like. Um, older older guys i remember this one particular situation um i went to this this space i'm trying to be intentional with what i say (laughs) i went to this space to get me and my best friend were doing like exotic dancing or go-go dances Mm -hmm. to the club on on the little talent nights and um they were measuring us to get um underwear Mm-hmm. Uh, made and I remember going to this place and I didn't know that they would have to measure us to do that and I could not um, get it up at all really because the man was like the the man that was measuring us had to be in his 60s oh. it was just like so weird yeah, yeah. and um, anyway he he told us well what will you know what will get you there mm-hmm. we were like you know you know touching whatever anyway we ended up doing a whole like Thing, me and my best friend in front mm-hmm. of the guy and he was just like sitting there lusting and that was probably the the time that i felt you know the worst so okay. it wasn't them it was just like situations like that um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i thought i was ready for that i definitely definitely did was not right for. right and it's crazy because you know i actually had a high school crush who was a teacher and I didn't even know. I he was married, but I really felt like he went, you know, he swung my way. But I never like acted on it. And I always was like, damn, I wonder if I like acted on it. You know what I mean? What would happen? Because he was married young. He was like in his early twenties and um, you know, I was like a junior senior and but you know, I know students, you know, some of my friends actually in high school messed with a couple of um, teachers. So, you know, it's not like it's not normal, you know, it's it always happens. 
Um, but yeah, that's interesting. So where do you think that aggression came from? Um, like your heavy aggressiveness, uh, you know, as a teenager? I think, um, I think it's always been, um, you know, therapy has taught me a lot about my aggression. Um, <laughs> I've had many different bouts with aggression over my lifetime. Um, but really it comes from a feeling of invalidation and kind of like this putting on of sorts of confidence. Um, this, 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 uh, machismo, if you would, that I, this armor that I put on, um, in order to feel more confident, to feel more seen, to feel more validated. Mm -hmm. Um, and it always, I think this is an important part that aggression not always is is negative, but many times it puts me in situations that I'm not ready for simply because I am not being authentic to who I am and being authentic to my journey. Right, right. So in the same way, it's not that the aggression was fake or mm -hmm. um, but it was it was an overconfidence that was not really authentic. Um, and that and that always leads me into either really good places or really bad places. Uh -huh. <laughs> some people think it was coming off cocky. Um, did uh, you get that or no? So I, so, so not in high school, but I learned to be cocky um, in black queer spaces when I was younger. Um, okay. Definitely learned to be cocky because you had to have an even tougher skin um, uh, in my experience, especially since I wasn't like, I wasn't I don't come from like an academic background. I come from like, you know, sex work and, you know, prostitution and things like that. And so, mm -hmm. um, in that, in that work, um, you have to, you have to present strong and impenetrable and things like that. And so that has been like my biggest learning lesson when I, you know, when I speak about liberation, at this point, that is some of the most liberating work I've had to do is step out of um, needing to have it all together, needing to be strong and needing to um, be aggressive in spaces where um, it's not called for and it's not helpful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So after high school, you were you did you do sex work in the past or yeah. okay, how did that whole Thing come about was it after high school you graduated um and what like led into that like what started it yeah so i was um i was with this guy my first like serious relationship after my teacher no my second serious relationship after my teacher mm -hmm. and uh we had moved into the projects because we wanted to be grown um when i first moved here to houston i was homeless and my gay father who actually adopted me um took me under his wings i stayed with him but i wanted to be grown so i moved with my little boo thing and my, well, we all right here <laughs> <laughs> my little boo thing i'll never forget this one day we were Oh, we got together because the sex was great. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, it was just some mind-blowing stuff. I'm sure it's not if I did it today, but back then, it was mind-blowing sex. Mm -hmm. And um, one day, um, like, he just stopped having sex with me. And I was just like, why are you, like, like why are we not getting it on? Right, right. And he was like, oh, I have this toothache. You know, the doctor gave me, you know, penicillin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
You don't have to. You don't have to use your mouth. Right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, after a little bit of like digging, because I'm young and nosy and trying to mm-hmm. understand things, right. it was uh, doxycycline and bicillin. Um, and I was like, "Well, that's never heard of those." So <laughs> that that they're. they're they're prim- not primarily, but they in in our community they're used as STI treatments. Okay. Um. So I'm like, oh, so so where are we? You know, are we open? Are we? Mm-hmm. So he ended up letting me know he was going to the block. Um. So we had a, an area here in Houston where, I mean, each area had different spaces, but the mm-hmm. block that he was on was you know men looking for men, mm-hmm. and I was like. Oh, I don't, you know, it doesn't make sense. Um, but anyway, long story short, he introduced me to like sex work. Um, I was working at, um, like many black queer young people, was working at a retail store, barely making ends meet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, $75 to do something that I wanted to do uh, versus ten dollars an hour to do something that i hated sounded good at the time and so um over time it became more and more interesting because you know i'm 21 22 and i want to have sex so why not like make some money and so yeah um but over time you just you just feel devalued um my experience i think sex workers work i think that we you know we have to lift up sex workers but my experience with sex work was that it was extremely devaluing um of course the more money you make um the more devalued you are because Mm -hmm. the more situations you're putting yourself in um and so a lot of a lot of who I am now is because I was a sex worker and it forced me to get into sex therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I have a lot of issues around sex now, which is Mm -hmm. probably why my, my butt's single, but um, (laughs) I was going to, I was going to ask you some questions. Don't worry. I was going to ask you some questions, (laughs) but you know, it's interesting because you hear a lot um, when you talk about sex workers in the community, about trans sex workers but you don't really hear about like the you know male male sex workers and how you know how they got to where they are at and so my question is is that when you were you know when you were working the streets and stuff um was it mostly like done in the cars or were you taken to like hotels and you know the basically with you the people with money you're gonna put you in a room and all that yeah so i never worked the block um he mm-hmm. i was introduced to the block i never worked the block because i wanted some level of, of anonymity mm-hmm. um so i worked the sites i worked adam for adam i worked me for okay. i worked um those sites okay um but I think you run into some of the same type of men, um, and it really depends on your level of desperation. Um, there were times where um, trying to watch my mouth, but uh, <laughs> there were times when I had to when I had to give hair for fifty dollars, and there were mm-hmm. also times where I got to masturbate on side of somebody in the Ritz Carlton for four hundred fifty. Um, oh, see, I, I would do that. <laughs> I would do that. I'll do that now. Listen, I'll jerk off for four hundred dollars if you want me to. No. 
So it just, I mean, but it really depends on your 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 level of desperation, what you need the money for. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think um, I, I applaud people who can make a lifestyle of it. Uh, for me, it was just not, oh, they're allowed. Um, for me, it was just not possible for for me to make a lifestyle from it yeah. um, because it's like whenever I made money, I needed to use it for something else. So Yeah. So what made you stop? Oh, so um, I was, so I remember, I'll never forget this. I'll try to make my story short because I'm a storyteller. <laughs> but um, so I... I had got a victim. I had a bro uh, a breakup with the one that got away. Um, mm -hmm. Probably like the best guy that I've dated thus far in terms of what it could have been. But I was an awful person who was secretly doing sex work, mm -hmm. and um, he broke up with me because he found some. You know, he didn't find it in my phone, but people were like saying I was having a lot of unprotected sex with random people because not only was I doing sex work, I was just like sex was a habit. Like so okay. I was like having a lot of sex. So anyway, he mm -hmm. broke up with me and I just could not <laughs> in my mind fathom why he would leave me. I'm mm -hmm. so good. Even though I was so terrible. <laughs> and um, so anyway, uh, I just shut down. Um, I had stopped kind of like doing sex work. I went to find another retail job mm -hmm. and everything wasn't working out. So I got evicted from my place. I lost my car and I ended up moving in with one of my old um, tricks okay. who ended up being a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. um, but the trick at the time could not see past me being, you know, a hope. Mm -hmm. And so though he would not come on to me um, himself, Anytime he would like bring boys over and be like, oh, they're going to want some from you and blah, blah, blah. And then it'll happen because I like sex. And mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. when I was addicted to sex. And um, so I ended up, you know, doing all these sex acts and he would just be watching and all that kind of stuff. So right. I was just like, I literally said this, like, God, if you could just give me one good trick. You give me mm -hmm. one good trick, I walk away from this forever, but I got to get out of here. I got to yeah. get out of here because it felt very uncomfortable. And uh, you got to be careful what you ask the universe for. Yes, so, you do. <laughs> I hold off on some stuff because I know it's going to happen. I'm like, yeah. I, I can't answer that. Yeah, right yeah. So I, um, I got hit up by this guy who was supposedly offering me a job working at Nabisco or something. And uh, he he told me, hey, the only way you can get the job, though, is if you come to uh, Lafayette. Lafayette? I can't think. It's somewhere in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, well, I don't have no car. I, I asked my friend to use their car. And I drive down to Lafayette because I'm just like, this is God. This is God. Because originally he was talking to me about, like, I got $500, but I'm leaving in two hours. And I'm just like, let's make it happen. No, why don't you just come to Lafayette? So anyway, I go to Lafayette. And I'm just dumb, just stupid, just excited that I may be leaving this guy's house. Mm -hmm. And um, get to Lafayette. And um, it's a whole situation. He got me a hotel room and um, recorded me. All, it was a mess. It was a mess. And I was really? like, hiding them off. But... Uh, it didn't matter because I was a hoe, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the final straw was he ended up reaching out to me 
And I didn't really know my my rights or like what that meant for me to be a sex worker and still have some type of like autonomy over my body and what I wanted right. to do, what I wouldn't mm-hmm. do. Um, but, you know, he threatened and went through with the threat because um, remember, I was going down there to get a job. So I filled out, filled out all of these pieces of paper that had all my information on it. Right. Um, so anyway, he ended up sending the video to my mother. Mm. And that was the end. Once my mom found out, I was, you know, that's why I'd be so surprised with OnlyFans. I'm like, oh, y'all mama don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Once my mama found out, I was like, uh-uh. I mean, right. forget the rape, forget the, you know, the assault, all that kind of stuff. But my mama thinking like, I'm up here in the big city, halfway making it, and I make it off of, you know, prostitution. For me, that was the last straw. Okay. And what did she uh, think about that when you spoke to her about it? Oh, she told the church. She went up to the she went up to the invitation to discipleship to ask the church to pray for me. Um, she told the whole the whole little city. Um, I came back down for finally out of embarrassment. Came back down for one of the holidays. Everybody's just like sitting there, eye to eye me. Um, well, it was it was weird and definitely uncomfortable. Right, right. Um, and but I I mean that breakdown had to happen because she never really had accepted me in the first place, and that was kind of like the weirdly the catalyst to to build our relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how's your relationship now with your mom? She dead to the tub. Really? Yeah, she died in 2012. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so she passed away in 2012. But um, me and her had, and she was my best friend, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the last three, three, maybe four years of her life. Best friend. Um, we hung out. That was my girl. She mm-hmm. lived with me for a bit. Um, I was, you know, I was, you know, medical power of attorney, power of attorney, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm you know, there throughout the process at 25 and I'm the youngest of the children. Okay. So, but that's, that, that was, that is my girl. If, if y'all go on my Instagram, y'all see that my staff just got me a paint, paint your life picture with mm-hmm. one of my old pictures and one of my new pictures. So yeah, that is my, that's my girl. That's my inspiration. Um, that's why I go so hard every day. Cause that's my girl. Yeah. Well, speaking of staff, well, I want to talk about your organization, um, and I think it's really good. So, the Normal Anomaly Initiative. Um, tell me about it. What was the whole backstory about it? Why did you start this organization? Yeah. So originally, I started the organization because I felt like there were not anybody that was speaking from a lens that. I saw things. Um, so I was in public health spaces in, you know, community activism. And it was always coming from a very like structural lens. Mm-hmm. Um, it was coming from a very like even academic lens, uh, where people were talking about like the epidemiology of HIV and they wanted to talk about like, you know, what, you know, structural racism and dismantling the structure. Mm-hmm. And I was like all of that is cute. Um, <laughs> all that is cute. Uh, you know, equality, let's get married. I'm just trying to make a dollar. Okay. Right. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get my piece of the pie. Now I'm not saying the system doesn't need to be, 
be dismantled, but I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. I don't have that privilege and, and many people like me don't have that privilege. And so um, it started as a blog, really. Um, I started, it wasn't an organization. I just started writing, um, writing stories about my past, writing stories about things that I was thinking about and it kind of caught on. And so in 2018, uh, I was thinking that I wanted to do some, some, some digital storytelling Um, And so I started kind of like getting groups of people together to tell stories about um, Christianity and um, LGBTQ issues. Mm -hmm. And from there, I was just like, this could really be a thing Um, and not specifically the storytelling because we do need storytelling. But what would it look like to have people doing capacity building and technical assistance that didn't come from academia? What would it look like to build programming for people um, who want to do activism, but not in, you know, the the spaces that are already created? What would liberation look like um, if we built community and communal resources um, versus just waiting on the system to change? Uh, Me, myself, you know, I love the work that, you know, BLM does. I love the work that Glad does. I, you know, mm-hmm. you will see me work with them many times. I follow their lead. Yeah. Um, but liberation work cannot wait on um, somebody to give us permission because that's not liberation. Right. Um, liberation work is internal work. It's communal work. It's um, it is it is the connection of resources. And so the Normal Anomaly Initiative is a is a space where we are seeking the forward mobility of black queer plus persons. Um, and what that means for me is like I'm not waiting on um, I'm not waiting on the system to change. I'm not waiting on black people to accept gay people. I'm not waiting on mm-hmm. gay mm-hmm. people to accept black people. What would it look for black gay people? Right. <laughs> To not worry about them people and to do our own work. Now, I'm glad we have allies. I'm glad we're building, you know, you know, capacity with different organizations and and our name is expanding. So that's like really Mm -hmm. cool. But for me, what's important is, um, you know, we're getting people employed and sustainable employment. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we're doing HIV testing, but we're doing like advocacy groups that build empowerment for people that do seroconvert um, Mm -hmm. and are living with HIV. Um, We're we're working on programs um, that are really, that don't wait on people. Um, And when we talk to other people, like we were doing some work with University of Houston, Graduate School of Social Work, Mm -hmm. we're doing some some work with, Emory University and so on and so forth, where we're having these conversations around what dismantling patriarchy looks like and Mm -hmm. um, how, you know, how, what does a sex positive work culture look like? Like we're doing that work and building capacity, um, Mm -hmm. but that work is coming from the people that are the most marginalized. Um, Right, right. You know, I have a person and they always give me permission, um, just saying, uh, but I have a person living with HIV that's leading this work. I have a okay. a woman of trans experience that's leading this work. You mm-hmm. know, um, I have a, a black woman um, of, of cis experience that's leading this work. I have a, mm-hmm. a, a older gay male living with HIV that's leading this work. Like, I wanted the most marginalized people to like to come together, and I don't, and I want to be able to pay people. So, right. 
you know, it's it's you know, I'm all about liberation because I like money. I right. all the time. I do nonprofit work, but I ain't trying to be poor. That's true. <laughs> and you know, it's always good because I feel like those are the best people to lead those movements are the people that actually have lived it and has overcame, you know, those, you know, those experiences. And that's how they help other people, you know. Um, I mean, that's with everyone, you know, it's always like sometimes experience counts more a little bit over education just because you can be educated all you want, but that doesn't mean that you have lived, you know, those type of experiences, you know. Um, but I know those programs are bomb. I know that they're, um, and can you tell me a little bit about one organization? I mean, one program that you're, that you have worked with that you really are like, yeah that you really love um you know it's so it's so hard it's so hard i have two uh, and i'll just split them in half so uh the first one is the trans ally collective um i'm all about um building building allyship between marginalized communities i think for black mass masculine presenting and or cis gender men that are queer um, many times, you know, we can get in our bag. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we can get in our bag because, um, you know, we do sit at a bunch of intersections of, um, you know, disparity and marginalization and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, Black trans women specifically are, you know, the most marginalized when you think of, like, pay equity. Um, 10, 34% of black trans women make under $10,000 a year. That's um, when you think about like domestic violence, and I do want to say domestic violence and intimate partner violence, because most trans murders are from people that they are in relationship with, either sexually mm -hmm. or romantically. So that is domestic violence. I think that also um, humanizes the conversation around trans murders. But um, so when you think about all those kind of things, we, you know, we put up a billboard in the middle of Fifth Ward in Houston that says mm -hmm. black trans women. Um, We've done some capacity building with organizations and even like some some media opportunities where we've taught people how to become better allies. We've done mm -hmm. surveying of black trans women to see what they need. And we're building our programming around what that looks like. Um, so our employment program is a direct reflection of um, one of the needs that the black trans community has. But then the second one real quick that I love is our power project. Okay. Uh, so power stands for positives, organizing wellness and resilience. Um, so it's a, it's a project that is led for, um, led and exclusively for uh, persons living with HIV. Um, mm -hmm. And we intentionally go after people who are not, activists who are not advocates and create and try to create a sense of community um as a person who is not living with hiv um many times uh we we put a lot of the responsibility on our our body um and our sex and sexuality on persons living with hiv mm -hmm. um first of all i think that is stupid as hell because the reality is you want to do it raw Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> take responsibility mm -hmm. for your own body. Okay. Uh, but, yeah. but the other piece to that is it leaves um, 
you know, persons living with HIV, especially, you know, the younger people and people that are newly, um, you know, diagnosed with um, being HIV positive, it leaves them feeling stigmatized and bogged down and overwhelmed and not um, not feeling validated and not feeling like they're going to find love. And so to create a space that I, I don't even know who's in there other than the character code and the surveys that come right, out of right. it. Um, but to create that space that is brave as possible um, is so important um, to empower empower the next group of advocates. Um, yeah. To not be like advocates, like you know, fight the power, but more like advocates for yourself. You know. Yeah. Let's fix some of our own traumas. That's how. That's how we can be the best advocates. Be a good person. Sometimes that's hard to do. <laughs> Sometimes that is hard to do. Um, well, it seems like that you had definitely overcame a lot. Um, and you talked about homelessness. Um, and how was that for you? Because I want to congratulate you on purchasing your first home, yeah. um, which has been a big, you know, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. you know. Um, a lot of people don't even get to purchase a home in their lifetime. So tell me a little bit um, how how it feels to like purchase that first home of yours. I am still scared. I am still <laughs> uncomfortable. It still hasn't set in. It's a lot of responsibility, but it is the best thing that I think I've ever done. Um, a couple of things about my first home. Um, one, uh, I've I built the home in uh, the third poorest neighborhood in Houston. Mm-hmm. Of course, I did it f- for financial reasons. I'm, I mean, I'm, I've learned a little bit. Uh, so it's good to, if we're going to gentrify, let me be the one to do it. Right. The black right. person. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but also I did it because this is reminiscent of, you know, where I came from. Um, but that adds a whole different level of trauma. Um, the nuances of like anti-blackness, uh, mm-hmm. I have internally that I now have to work through, mm-hmm. um, staying in a black neighborhood, a, a neighborhood that is written with poverty is a whole thing. Um, but I always wanted a space, um, not just for me, but for, for family. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a lot of biological family, um, that are, that are still alive. So, um, my adoptive father who happens to be gay, um, has a biological nephew, um, that now lives in one of my rooms, um, who is also queer. Um, and so it was always important for me to like, really just create space for people. Um, and to show people like I <laughs> the the blessing in my life is that I'm ignorant to what I can't do. Um because I didn't go through the normal I didn't go the normal trajectory of success. So I didn't have anybody telling me what I could or couldn't do. And I had no knowledge of what was possible. So when I say I'm going to do something, I don't see I'm the blessing is I'm ignorant to the, um, the difficulties and the impracticality of what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so with that, I just go, that's the blessing. Like I opened the center because I didn't know I couldn't open a center. Right. I mean, just write a grant and right, right. get the money. 
I didn't know. I didn't know getting a house was difficult. I just <laughs> talked to a realtor. Okay, what mm-hmm. I need to do? Um, so and see, I'm the total opposite. <laughs> I overthink shit, and I'm like, damn, this is gonna be. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it. And so with you know the way that you think that could be a good thing because you don't know what you're walking into. No, no, I don't. I because it's because for me. Um, you know, going back to my my liberation, my 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 conceptualization of liberation is this idea of getting us to the end goal, right? Mm-hmm. I am not. Uh, I tell I tell my team all the time. Um, I am a visionary. I am not a programmer, mm-hmm. um, and that's my gift. I sit in my gift, and I don't. I I work on programs. I'm getting better at programs, but I'm not gonna give all my time to programs because that's not my gift. Right. Um, and so that's the <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the blessing for me because I am an end goal person. Okay, what is it going to take us to get to the end goal? Mm-hmm. That's you know, we find people to figure that out. Right. But we're going to get to the end right. goal. Period. A lot of people are like that. Yeah. And me being one of those people that work on like other people's ideas and stuff, I'm like. <laughs> Okay, you're saying this idea, but you don't know the detail and the tediousness of this. But you want it in a week? What? Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm also very, I'm also very realistic because I'm okay. creative. I'm a creative uh, by heart. But mm-hmm. for me, it's I am a person that says, okay, this is the end goal. I wanted a house. I didn't know the process of getting a house. But I was willing to go through the process. I didn't put it on a time limit. Right. I'm all the center. Like it's 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 about it's about knowing that everything will happen in its perfect time at the right moment for the right reason. And so I don't I don't exist in a space of like this needs to happen right now. No, it's going to happen when it needs to happen, but it will happen. Right. My my faith is in it happening, not mm-hmm. the time frame in which it will mm-hmm. take to happen. Mm-hmm. And so all of my all of my obstacles that came because it was a lot of obstacles that came throughout my my process of home ownership. There was never a moment. There were moments when I was tired that day and I picked right. up the next day and kept on going. But mm-hmm. there was never a moment that I said, "Oh, this is not going to happen." Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so that happened. So how do we fix it? Like, mm-hmm. where do we go now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Real quick, tell me a little bit about the center because that was the article that I actually was reading about the center that you opened. Um, tell me a little bit about it and how um, how it came about. Yeah, so the Black Queer Plus Center is a center that is for and by um, for I'm sorry for and by people. Uh, that are at the intersections of Black, Queer, and Plus. We are doing programming that the community says they need. Um, our kind of like presiding board is called our core group or community offering real engagement group. Um, and that and that group kind of decides what we do, what we put out, how we move around, and how we um, design our programs. And so it's led by a wonderful team um, from Normal Anomaly, Joelle Baya, Azori, Espute, and Joy. Jordan Edwards, mm-hmm. and uh, they are phenomenal. I mean, I could not have asked for a better group of queer people that push me and hold me accountable and love me and we're family. And um, I would offer, you know, 
it's so it's so cool to go to work. Um, we're off on Mondays. We don't go in on Mondays, Saturdays or Sundays because mm-hmm. Mondays are self care. But um, okay. I love going into the office and seeing them every Tuesday through Friday. Um, they are family. We have a good time. Uh, we genuinely love each other. And thank God for therapy because I think that they are the first people that I've ever met um, that I work closely with that um we we are not dysfunctional we don't have no dysfunction <laughs> listen that's good that's good and you have to keep them by your side at all times yes don't let them go no no i <laughs> i fight hard to keep them <laughs> mm-hmm. and you put that center in a specific location yes. right so it is off of bissonette street here in houston so bissonette street is the host role um it is the host role is also um the zip code with probably it's in the top 10 zip codes of the highest prevalence and incidence of hiv although Mm -hmm. it is not close to any centers that within a you know five mile radius it's not really close to any space where they can get care be connected and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth so Mm -hmm. It was really important because I think that as much as I hate talking about HIV, you can't talk about black queer people and not talk about HIV, not talk about politics and not talk about black trans women. And so um, seeing that that is I mean, literally, you know, you said you're coming to Houston. Hopefully it's, you know, during the day when we we can meet up and take something back to the office. But when you walk out the office, whether it's 2 p.m., 8 p.m., or three in the morning, mm-hmm. um, you will you will see people that are obviously, you know, walking. I mean, mm-hmm. swimsuits mm-hmm. on uh, mm-hmm. down the street, and so it was really just super important to like create space um, and pay homage to to where I came from, and you know, um, and, and sex workers, my um, the the person that kind of trained me to get on the the websites was this black trans woman. Um, and yeah, she taught me everything. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and she worked on Bissonette. So paying homage to her. Well, I'm going to check it out when I go. Yeah. It's going to be on my list to do. So <laughs> I'm going to hit you up. Um, so let's move on to the next uh, segment um, real quick, which is the teabag segment, which a lot of people like the name, the teabags. So what I want to talk about real quick is uh, Janet Mock. She was in the headlines for a minute about her speech that she made at the Post premiere. Um, She kind of just said anything that came to her mind. Um, She said she gets paid $40,000 per episode of Pose. Um, and a whole bunch more. Uh, what do you feel? What is your opinion on what she said about how you know trans uh, people are underpaid and everything that she you know has been going through? Yeah, you know, I go off first mm-hmm. of all, Jenny Mock. Go off, go off. Let the children have it. Um, I go up for stuff like that. Um, I think it's really important uh, to talk about. Um, the gender pay equity, especially when you're talking about like trans women. I did not like her focus on um, Poppy, Angel, uh, whatever. Okay. 
Yeah, uh, her boyfriend. I didn't like that. I don't think that that was particularly the best place to do that. Um, I, no, which surprised me because I was like looking at her side eye. But... Right. I think that I think that you know, not that she should care, and not that you know we should care about what media will do. I'm surprised media hasn't flipped this as like a mental breakdown or something like that because of that particular instance of saying right. something about her relationship. But no, I think it was I think it was well overdue. Um and all the comments um from the Pose characters say they were in direct support of it. So Yeah. 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 Um what I was, what I'm surprised about is the, um, just, you know, Pose being only three seasons. And I said this many times, like, all these black, you know, shows that are, you know, nationwide on cable have a short span period on TV. So, like a um, Noah's Ark was two seasons, like a Pose Nail, three seasons, and, I'm curious to know why that is because it has a big audience base, you know. Um, it's not like you're not doing numbers because you're right. doing numbers. Um, so that's that has been on my mind for a minute. I just I just think you know you know we need a we need a, a title of you know black television. Uh, you know what I mean? Other mm-hmm. BT can't be that because I mean it's right. not black anymore. Right. Uh, but yeah. but I think I think that's what it's going to take, and you know I think also it's it's the you know we got to be honest about like the nuances of like the the storyline, um, and like I was you know I've been watching it. I am I am loving you know as Janet was saying that you know we they need better writing. I am much more in love with the writing this season than I have been. Yeah. The writing this season's really good. Yeah. Really, um, really good. Still a little bit of overacting, you know what I mean? Still a little overacting. I love it. I just finished watching the episode from last night this morning, so I yeah. definitely love it. But I think it's just like all of those um nuances something else that i i'm interested to see i would be interested to see and i think that um who did i see i think mj um blanca is doing Mm -hmm. a series where she's playing a woman yes she is yeah i mean can we can we can we push the envelope where you know trans women are playing women just i mean cis women Mm -hmm. yeah like like can we can we not um can we not put them in a in a box? Um, because I think it like creates this culture. But I love Pose. I think what Janet said was so so important and so impactful. Um, I am looking forward with this writing to see like what else is happening because I just told my friend that I wanted to see a little bit more complexity in um, Dominique or I mean Electra's right character, mm-hmm. and I got it. Yep, you got it. Yeah, I got mm-hmm. this, so I'm excited about it. You know, it's crazy because it's a movie on Amazon. It's about, I forgot what it's called, The Society Something, I think, where it's about two trans women who, um, you know what I'm talking about? Who, uh, yeah. So they, but they're, they were played by cis women. 
Yeah. And I and it's been getting such negative reviews that I just even refuse to I hear I hear it's actually good. It's just mm-hmm. extremely well, it's extremely transphobic is what I'm, yeah. what I'm what I'm hearing. But I hear it's actually really good. I just um and the fact that Amaya Scott stepped down from being a consultant for it um says a lot about it. Oh, she did. I didn't hear that. Yeah, she she was originally connected to to the movie as like the consultant for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said she stepped down because of creative differences on Twitter. Which now <laughs> we see probably why, you know. Yeah. She didn't do it for no reason. Um Okay. So that's the tea bag segment. Now the final segment in my bag. Um I've been out it's been a lot going on that got me in my bag um normally i talk about niggas but i ain't talking about niggas. I will. Um, <laughs> um but no i want to um express this video that i saw on instagram um and it really got my like blood flowing a little bit because it was something that i kind of wasn't um like i wasn't uh part of and it was an intersexed person um and he basically was telling us everything from when he was born up until now and it's a lot of people out there like him um but it's not talked about and it's not expressed especially on the level that he was going because he was going in detail um and he said he was born with you know a clit but also had a penis so he had female and male um parts he had ovaries but then he had i think inverted testicles um which is it's crazy because as i was reading some articles they were saying how people who are born like that the doctors just pick what gender they you know what gender they think they will go with or they will consult with the parent so this um guy he was raised as a female but in his mind he was a male (laughs) so it's kind of it's crazy when i was looking at the video because i'm just trying to relate it to myself and i don't know how i would (laughs) live like that you know um being confused at a young age not knowing who you are by you know your genitals and private areas and what do you think about and have you do you know any person who is intersex no no i have been dating um a lot of trans men recently mm-hmm. um so that's probably the the closest that i've come to you know intersex and maybe they identify as intersex also but um <clears throat> I think it's I think it's really, really interesting. Um, I think I'm learning so much about like sex and sexuality um, while like learning from like Joel and all of the work we're doing with the Trans Ally Collective. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I'm still mind blown and I'm glad that I'm I'm around people uh, here in Houston that like allow me to have space to learn because mm-hmm. um, that's not always the case. But I will say um, I was lusty watching it. I was very lusty, mm-hmm. very lusty. Mm-hmm. 
Very, I was like, he's cute. Very, very lusty. Yeah. He's cute. And he would, he would say, like, listen, I told her I got a small dick. I got a small dick. And, you know, he's very upfront, you know, with his demeanor and his, um, you know, his attitude. Like, he's going to tell you what it is. And um, he loved, you know, when he finally had testosterone, he was taking testosterone to where he was building his body. And he knew what he wanted to be. Um, but it was definitely interesting. It made me want to like interview him and or interview someone like him, um, just to know, you know, their mind and where they're at. So I was definitely in my bag about that because I was like, what the fuck am I looking at? <laughs> it caught me off guard. It really caught me off guard, but it was very interesting. And it was a 14 minute video, but um in that 14 minutes, it was good. He, yeah, he said everything. So I was in my bag about that. I'm going to think I'm going to try and share the video on my Instagram page so everyone can um, look at it. Yeah, I think for me, I'm in my bag about microwave relationships. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's like everybody, I don't know. I, I bring out the crazy in everybody I meet, I suppose. But um I meet people and I treat them like a gentleman because I'm from the South and we okay. go to places and we do things and we fuck on the first night because that's what dudes from the South do. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it's like, soon as that happens, like everything is just like crazy. Like, why aren't we together? And, um, you know, why aren't we married? And I think it's also like this, um, this uh this idea of what a husband looks like right mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and it's like oh a husband needs to be financially okay a husband needs to you know have a cute job they need to drive a cute car all these like very um superficial things right and i i believe that i probably was like that you know prior to having all those things i'm sure mm -hmm. i had those moments but now having them it's like but you don't care about my mental health you don't right. care about like my journey you don't want to know my story you don't want to understand like um my my weird quirks and why i do what i do and things like that everybody just wants to pop a relationship in a microwave and eat it like it's popcorn and i'm mm -hmm. like no i've worked too hard on my piece and my piece too good mm -hmm. <laughs> for me to, for me to um to to just give it to somebody for the reason of saying um i'm in a relationship like honestly a relationship is a, a really high priority for me, but it is not big enough for me to lose myself. Um, right. And I truly believe, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm not in one, because I do believe you have to be comfortable with risking a lot to get what you want, as I've done in other areas. But yeah, you got to, we got to prove ourselves. I mean, you got to at least- well, yeah. Uh, and you have to you have to find someone who's willing to put in the work, you know, um, and it's going to take time. Like you're not going to know someone's going to put in the work one week into you know you talking or even six months. You don't you don't know. It takes at least probably a year, a year and a half to really know somebody. Um, and see, people get it misconstrued because I feel like you have to put people in a box, like. And be honest with people. Like, if you're just here to fuck, let me know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then 
I can evaluate what the fuck I want to do. But if you are showing interest in me and you are doing different things, you know, tell me. Tell me that you're interested in me. Tell me that you want to. And then some people don't say, well, nah, I'm not going to. I don't want to take this next step with you. But they see your kindness and they take it for granted. And they're like, well, let me see how far this go. And the next thing you know, you're fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it seems like it seems like it's taken roughly about 24 hours to two weeks before people are like, "Why haven't you proposed?" And I'm like, "Really? Um, what's my middle name, baby? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, like we don't know. We don't. You don't even know what I do for a living. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, oh, he's an activist." You don't even know what I do for a living. Right. right. Um, but uh, but I think it's also like, you know, we're, we can be a vapid society that is like based upon this idea of like this patriarchal idea of success. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I would argue that the closer you get to whatever that definition of success is, you realize that it's so much more work to be done. It's so much more that I that I need to do is so much more that I have inside. So yeah, no to microwave relationships. <laughs> Anybody's listening, I'm looking, but it can't be no microwave relationship. Right. I gave up. <laughs> I put all my energy into work because I'm just like but you know, you like you said earlier, you always have that one where that kind of got away. And Sometimes I'm kind of like, do I want to go back and see what it was like? Or maybe just leave it alone. Oh, I can't go back. And yeah, I can't go back. And so <laughs> when that, when I asked myself that, I said, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you don't do that. Yeah. But it's me feeling that loneliness to where I'm like, well, let me backtrack and see. But I can't do that, you know, because that was the past. And you never know what happens in the future, but at the same time, you just have to keep living your life. Um, but yeah, I'm over it. <laughs> I'm over it. I was like, if someone comes, they come. You know, if they don't, they don't. Um, I know I'm a good catch, but, you know, maybe I'm not in a space to have anyone right now. You know? Yeah, I, you know, for me, I think, um, I think I'm just, I'm just comfortable with the process going back to me, not really considering time, you know, I'm not worried about time when it's supposed to happen. It's going to happen and I'm going to keep on looking because he's out there, mm-hmm. out there and he doesn't want to treat me like popcorn, treat me like a pot roast. Right. <laughs> what is your sign? Scorpio. <sighs> no comment (laughs) I should have guessed that as soon as you came on (laughs) y'all Scorpios are y'all crazy y'all crazy (laughs) maybe that's why I'm attracting all these crazy people and you know what y'all do (laughs) and see I had a Scorpio friend um, in New York and I'm like listen you cray cray and you're not making me cray cray with you. Yeah. I can't do that. So, um, but y'all, but Scorpios are really nice people. Y'all are hard workers. Um, y'all get shit done. And so, you know, <laughs> with the bad, 
That's true. <laughs> that's true. So, um, yeah, that's all microwave relationships, a dub. Um, intersex people, I need to know more. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, I want to thank you, you for coming on. Yes. Um, this was fun. I feel like we could have talked for hours, especially about your story. Um, because honestly, you blew me away with that story. So I might have to come, I might have to have you come back on um, love next season or something and have more in detail conversations. I would love to. I'm just in my bag, bag, bag.